We will be returning to Colossians chapter 1 this evening. Colossians chapter 1, continue our theme, In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone. I forgot a couple of things. First, I forgot my clock. I used to take my, bring my computer up here, put it on the front bench, uh, but that doesn't really matter anyway, does it? So. And then I meant to count, I just, I've forgotten twice now, I meant to count the number of times Christ comes up in Colossians 1. It has to be a lot of times. I meant to count that, I, I just forgot, but you can see the emphasis there that's just real clear. Oftentimes people say Ephesians emphasizes the church of Christ. And Colossians emphasizes the Christ of the church. This morning we mentioned in Christ alone we see our priority. And in Christ alone we can find our salvation. And in Christ alone we can learn to pray better. And in Christ alone we can see and find our hope. And in Christ alone, we clearly see the joy that can be ours. Let's uh, extend that just in three ways um, this evening. In three simple ways. First of all, in Christ alone, we can have a sense of reverence and respect. In Christ alone, we can have a sense of reverence and respect. Starting here... In Colossians 1 and 15, there are about five really mind-blowing statements about Christ. Notice them with me. Colossians 1 and 15 and, and following. Five statements about Christ. First, notice that He is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible, of the invisible God. Now, we'll have to jump back and forth between John 1 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. So just get your Bibles ready. But notice in Colossians 1.15 that Christ is the image of the invisible God. This means that He is the complete expression of God and He is the exact likeness of God. We remember Jesus saying in John 14 verse 9, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Let's pick up on this in Hebrews chapter 1. Notice with me. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. Hebrews 1, 3. It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Notice that carefully. Now notice the next statement in Colossians 1 and verse 16. Second statement about Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 16. It says that through Christ all things have been created. Notice that. Colossians 1.16. All things have been created. And just in case we don't understand what all things are, notice what verse 16 says. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. In other words, you know back in Genesis 1.26 when it says, when God says, let us make man in our image, Christ is part of that us. God the Father, God the Word, or God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man uh, in our image. Again, jumping over to Hebrews 
chapter 1, notice it with me. In verse 3, again, Christ, well, let's jump up to verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. See that? In Hebrews 1, verse 2. And then going back to John chapter 1, and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So first statement is, He is the image of the invisible God. And second statement, Colossians 1.16, Through Him all things were created. Then notice Colossians 1.17, Jesus is before all things. Jesus is before all things. Now my Bible is still open here to John 1 and the first few verses. Notice John 1 verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. You see, he's, he was before all things. Before all things. And then again, while you're in the book of John, you might jump over to John 17. I know the auditorium class has been studying from John 17. And Jesus' famous statement here in John 17 verse number 5 has him saying, Father, uh, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, Jesus is before all things. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. John eight fifty eight. Before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is before all things. And then the next big statement about Jesus, again there in Colossians 1.17, in Him all things hold together. In Jesus Christ all things consist or are held uh, together. Without Jesus Christ, the universe would simply disintegrate. Just disintegrate. It would just fall apart. Jesus holds it all together. Again, jumping around, Hebrews chapter 1. Notice it. In your Bible, it says in verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. You see, because of Jesus, Genesis 8.22 happens. What does Genesis 8.22 actually say? You know what it says. It talks about the different seasons of uh, life. But notice, notice it specifically. In Genesis chapter 8, 20, 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Who's making this happen? The Lord Jesus is making this happen. He's holding this all together. And it will continue to be, ladies and gentlemen, it will continue to be until the Lord says it will be no more. So what do we do with, with these uh, alarmists these climate change alarmists, we simply ignore them because we know better. The Bible speaks to this. We know what the really truth is. But notice these five statements about the Lord. One more here in Colossians 1 verse 19. It says that in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
to dwell. That, what that simply means is that every attribute you can think of that God has dwells in Jesus. Every attribute that God has, Jesus has. Okay. Whether it be knowing a person's thoughts or knowing the future, whether it be the control of nature or creating the world or raising the dead or healing the sick, whatever it might be, Jesus has it as well. We can follow him in his life on earth and see those attributes uh, in his life. This is meant to bring to us a heart, a sense of reverence and complete respect and awe and wonder and humility before our God. In Christ alone, we have this sense of reverence. You know, if every attribute of God dwells in Jesus, then that lays the foundation for what we read in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, where every spiritual blessing is found in Christ. If every attribute of God is found in Christ, and then Paul turns around and says every spiritual blessing is found in Christ, then we have good reason to believe that that is exactly where all the spiritual blessings are. You want to get in Christ to enjoy those blessings. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says when we're baptized for the remission of sins, we're baptized into Christ and we put on Christ. The sense of respect is really hard to put in words. But think about it this way. Think about what Thomas said when he actually saw the holes in Jesus' hands. And the hole in the side of Jesus, he simply said, my Lord and my God. When we see these statements in Colossians 1, what else can we say but my Lord and my God? In Christ alone we have this sense of reverence. Secondly, tonight, in Christ alone we see the church. Colossians 1.18. In Christ alone we see the church. There's a powerful connection between the body of Christ and the church here. And we, we have some things that we can know about this. Here they are. We can know that the church is the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18. We can also know, secondly, that Jesus is the head of the body. The head of the church. Not only here in Colossians 1.18 but also Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. A third thing we can know about the church and body connection is that all the saved people who are actually saved are in the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 23 says that Jesus is the Savior of the body. Ephesians 5, 23. The saved are in this body. We can also know, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, that a person to get in this body is baptized into to this body. For by one spirit have we all been baptized into this body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Now it's not that somebody drives up to an assembly of folks and says, hey, I like your church. I want to be baptized into your church. No, that's not how it goes. The teaching of the Bible is that we respond to the cross through obedience to the gospel. And part of that obedience is repentance and baptism. And when we're baptized into Christ because of our love and respect for Him, 
then the Lord adds us to His body and sets us in a position where we can work for Him for the rest of our lives. And so we know that the body is full of the saved and we're baptized into that body. And also the fifth thing we know about the body and church connection is that there is one body, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. As many gods as they are, there are bodies. There's one body. There it is. There's one body. We also know that every effort made by a member of Christ's body is important. Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says something like, uh, he says now, as he explained the church as a body, he said now, the foot cannot say or should not say, because I'm not the hand, then therefore I'm not of the body. No, don't do that. And, and the ear should not say, because I'm not the eye, therefore I'm not part of the body. No, they're all part of the body. And every effort made by a member of the Lord's church is extremely important in the sight of God. And then a seventh thing that we know about the body and church connection is that the members of the body must work together for the body to be able to increase and to grow. Members must work, must work together. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1, we are laborers together with God. It's a beautiful statement. And he says um, in 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 6, uh, I planted Apollos water. Didn't know where he says it? I planted Apollos water, and God gave the increase. He that plants is nothing. He that waters is nothing, but God gives the increase. You see, we, we're workers together. We're workers together. So notice that, uh, the body and the church, when in Christ alone, you can't find this anywhere else. In Christ alone, we see the church as it ought to be. Right. Let me run over that for you one more time. The church is the body. Christ is the head of the church. The body is full of the saved people. We're baptized into that body, number four. Number five, there's one body. Number six, every effort a member of the body makes is important. And number seven, those members must work together in the body in order for the body to increase. Okay. Now, on the practical side of things, let's think about it this way. Think about how God pictures the church as a body, as, as a human body. Okay. So as members of the body, let us have eyes to see. Eyes to see. Jesus says in John 4 and 35, Lift up your eyes and look upon the fields. They are white already under harvest. Let us be looking for and, and seeing the possibility of someone receiving the gospel. We must look for open hearts. So as members of the body, let us have eyes to see. As members of the body, let us have ears to hear. Jesus often said that phrase, didn't he? If you therefore have ears to hear, let him hear. He that has ears to hear. A lot of people have ears, but they don't hear. Well, we've got to use our ears to hear the word of God, but we've also got to have our ears, we've got to use our ears to listen to people. If we listen to people, we'll see where they need the gospel. We, we will see what their biggest need is. We have two ears and one mouth, as they say, so let us do more listening than we do uh, talking. A, 
A good doctor, when you, when you go into his office, he's going to ask you a lot of questions, and he's going to listen carefully, and then he's going to make the diagnosis. And so as, as the Lord's uh, physician assistants, we've got to learn to listen as well. As members of the body, let us use our ears to hear. And let us use our tongues to speak. You know, Philip opened up his mouth and, and was able to help the eunuch, Acts 8.35. If, if Philip had not opened up his mouth, where would the eunuch be? The unit would still be confused. He would not have been able to obey the gospel. Let us use our, our tongues to speak. Let us, as members of the body of Christ, let us use our hands to work, Ephesians 4.28. Let, let us, with our hands, work that thing which is good. Oftentimes, the Lord needs our hands as much as he does our minds and our mouth. Let us use our hands to work. Let us use our arms to embrace people. Sometimes, uh, just as Paul and the Ephesian elders hugged each other, Acts 20, 36-38, so sometimes we've just got to show affection because we are brethren. We are brethren. Let us use our arms to embrace those who need a loving hand. Let us use our feet to go. Of course, the Great Commission tells us to go into all the world. I like the statement made about Jesus in Acts 10, 39, where it says, he went forth doing good. He went forth doing good. You hardly ever saw Jesus standing still. He was on the move. Let us use our feet to go for the Lord. Let us use our backs to help bear burdens, Galatians 6, 2. And let us use our hearts to really show compassion and care. As members of the body, let us be sure to use every advantage we have to try to help somebody for the cause of Christ. Last uh, January, we had Brother Rob Whitaker here. And he talked about finding a way to help. And he said, when it comes to reaching out to people, we can be a bringer, we can be a teacher, or we can be a keeper. All those works are important. Let us find a way to help the Lord in His great cause. So first, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, we can have a sense of reverence. In Christ alone, we see the church. And finally tonight, in Christ alone, we can be encouraged to teach. In Christ alone, we can be encouraged to teach. We'll have our Bibles open here to Colossians 1. Notice a couple of things carefully. We have a lot of keepers in the church, but we have fewer and fewer bringers and teachers. I'm not talking about Bible class teachers per se, but just those willing to speak up on a day-to-day, normal basis and tell people about the Lord. Well, as we're encouraged to do that, let's notice a statement or two. Notice Paul's statement here in Colossians 1.23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Notice that the Colossians were dependent on somebody coming and proclaiming the word because they were able to hear. They were able to hear. Unless we proclaim. Notice Paul in Colossians one. 28, he says, him, talking about Christ, him I proclaim to you. Well, think about some encouragement to teach. Think about some inner workings of teaching. Some inner workings. 
When we teach, there is a subject involved. There's a subject involved. Notice Colossians 1 verse 5 here. That subject is called the Word. The Word. God wants His message to be carried through the vehicle of communication of words. It is also called, the subject, subject is called the truth. When we proclaim the word, we are proclaiming something that is completely without error. There's no, there's no falsehood in the Bible. And then Colossians 1.5 also refers to the subject as the gospel, which of course is the good news through Jesus Christ, the gospel. Colossians 1.23 calls the word the faith. The faith. So the subject is the faith. We, without the word, we would not be able to have faith because that's the source of our faith, the word of God. In Colossians 1.6, notice the statement here by Paul. In Colossians 1 and verse 6. He says, which word, the truth of the gospel, has come to you as indeed into the whole world. It is bearing fruit. It is bearing fruit. So the gospel is the seed. So you think about the inner workings of teaching. You've got to think about the subject. What is the subject called? Well, it's called the Word. It is called the truth. It is called the gospel. It is called the faith. It is called the seed. So when we teach the Word of God, then we are planting seeds. We're planting seeds. And it will grow in good and honest hearts. Don't just think about the subject. Think about the balance of teaching. The balance of teaching. Notice Paul here in Colossians 1. And it's later in the chapter here. Around verses 28 and 29. He says in verse 28, Him we proclaim both warning and teaching. There's a balance to it. There's a balance to it. A lot of times the best thing to do is just do some straightforward teaching. Here's what it says. Then oftentimes we've got to warn that if we don't, adhere to the word, then, then there's going to be consequences. Jesus, uh, we, we mentioned his words this morning about affection. Uh, he talked about affection in two ways. He, he taught it. He says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he also warned. He said, he that loves father or, mo- or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And so notice the balance, the inner workings of teaching. There's got to be that balance of teaching and warning. And notice the design of teaching. Again, Paul mentions this here in Colossians uh, 1, uh, later in the chapter. Uh, He says, again, it's verse 28. He says, uh, we are teaching and warning in all wisdom that we may present everyone mature, complete, perfect in Christ. Mature, perfect, complete in Christ. This is our purpose for teaching. This is really the purpose of all that we do in the Lord's church, is to create not just, not just people sitting on the pews, but people mature in Christ. And if we're not there yet to grow to that maturity, perfect and complete in Christ, this is, this is where the Lord wants everyone. It's not just for a select few. It's hard for us to get that, that old mindset from... Uh, from the Catholic system and the Protestant system, that somehow there's a few who are called and who are selected to do the work. The rest of us just support those few. Okay. It's hard to get that out of our minds, but it has never appeared in the New Testament at all. Okay. We're all 
working toward maturity in Christ. This is where the Lord wants us. I'm reminded when Paul was, was standing before Agrippa, I think it's Acts 26, and uh, uh, Agrippa said, you know, Paul, you almost are, are at the point of persuading me to be a Christian. In other words, it's almost as if Agrippa was saying, uh, You're, are you trying to make me a Christian? You know? Paul said, um, yeah. In fact, um, I would love for you to be just as I am, except for these chains. Can you imagine Paul, a preacher of the gospel, a tremendous man of God, standing there before those men in chains? What a terrible sight. What an what a absolute ridiculous thing to have that man in chains. What's he going to do to you? He's out teaching the love of Christ. Why do you got him in chains? Look what Paul said. I want you to be as I am, except for these chains. That's, that's our design right there. That's our purpose. That we, we do not stop. We do not stop. This is our aim for everyone who has a slight interest in Jesus to become completely mature in Christ. And then notice, still thinking about these inner workings of teaching, notice the strength where we get our strength to teach. You know, again, latter part of Colossians 1 here, notice Paul saying in verse 29, for this I toil. What's he toiling for? So that people can be mature in Christ. I just thought of this verse. Galatians 4.19. Paul says, I labor like a woman having a baby so that you can, uh, you can bear the image of Christ. It's the same idea. Paul says, Colossians 1 verse 29, I toil and I struggle with all energy, with all his energy, with all God's energy, that he powerfully works within me, according to his working. Who's working? Paul says, I get my strength from God. From the knowledge that I know that God is behind me as I seek to teach. He's behind me. You know what Jesus promised in Matthew 28, verse 20, when he talked about going to all the world? He says, and, I will, and lo, I will be with you, always. I'll be with you. The Lord is behind this kind of effort. That's why Paul saying, I toil and I struggle. Notice in verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Uh, for your sake, he rejoices in that because he knows the Lord's behind it. So think about the inner workings of teaching. This ought to encourage us right here. Okay. You've got your subject, which is the word, the truth, the gospel, etc. And then you've got the balance of that teaching and warning. You've got the purpose of this to make us mature in Christ. You've got the strength behind it. And then notice the audience involved. He says, this is for every man. Everyone, verse 28. Every man, everyone, verse 28. I wonder why our world has such trouble with this. No. You hear the advertisements. You know. All lives cannot matter until this group matters. Why do they have such trouble with the fact that God loves everyone? What, what people need is a good dose of Christ, don't they? I mean, we, we, we start out with our children right here on the front row. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in His sight. And we sing that to our little children so they'll grow up understanding that and embracing that. 
And noticing Hebrews 2 verse 9, Jesus tasted death for every man. Every man. The audience is everyone. Everyone. Whether they live here or there. Whether they live in Alabama or Texas. Whether they live in Tennessee or California. Alaska or New Mexico. India or Africa. They are all precious in his sight. Absolutely. So we're encouraged in this teaching because of the inner workings here. But also we're encouraged because of actual history. They've actually done it before. It has actually happened. Notice what Paul says here in in 123. He says... um, You shouldn't be shifting away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all the creation, in all the known world to Paul and that day, the gospel had gone forth. They had been taking the word of God seriously. They had been taking the Great Commission seriously. It had been about 30 years. When Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, it had been about 30 years since the day of Pentecost. Look what they have been doing for those 30 years. They have been out with the gospel. How did they do it? Okay. Well, we're not left in the dark. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 and 42 has part of the answer. How did they go about doing it? Notice when Peter and John are released. Okay, verse 41, Acts 5, 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day, this is how it happens, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. Jesus as the Christ. That's just how it happened. What about when they were pushed around? Acts 8, verse 4. They were pushed. A lot of the Christians were pushed right out of Jerusalem. It might happen to us one day. We might be pushed right out of our home. What happened when they were pushed right out of their home, right away from their farmland, right away from their families? It says they took the word with them and just kept preaching. preaching. That's how it happened. Why it happens is because of the blood of the cross. How it happens is just what we just read. So, three things uh, this evening. In Christ alone, we can create a sense of reverence. In Christ alone, we can clearly see the church. In Christ alone, we can be encouraged to share, to teach. teach. All of us have a shameful past in one way or another. These brethren did. People that we meet will in one way or another, to one degree or another, have a shameful past. But we can tell them about a wonderful price that has been paid for them. And we can use the gospel, the truth, the faith, the word, the seed, to show them that great love and that great price. In Christ alone. We can assist anyone this evening with a part of your faith, with restoring your faith, 
or with obedience to the gospel, please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing.